Welcome to Striking a Chord, an Ernie Ball podcast. So we're going to try something a little different this episode. On the show, we have Maddie Schieferstein, guitar tech extraordinaire to John Petrucci. We solicited questions from social media, and Maddie's going to answer a handful of those. We'll talk about string height, string changing, string gauges. Also, John Petrucci's guitar collection, his pre-show rituals, and much more. So let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, Maddie Schieferstein. Maddie Schieferstein, welcome to the podcast. Hello. How's it going? Great. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. All right. So we solicited questions from social media, got lots back. <laughs> only in a within a short window. Okay. So right. lots out there. Well, let's 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 see what they want to know. Yeah, let's go through them. We can we can hit a number of them. Uh, before we do that, let's do a quick recap on how you came to become John Petrucci's guitar tech. Let's see. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to go back a number of years. Sure. Um, so, years and years ago, I worked for Deep Purple, um, who, as you know, Steve Morris is the guitar player in Deep Purple. So, um, I was actually the bass tech for them, and we did a tour in the kind of late '90s, I guess. And it just so happened that Dream Theater was one of the support acts on the tour. And uh, so you got to, you know, I was a fan of theirs, of course, and uh, got to hang around and, and kind of spy on all the, all the cool guitar nerd gear and stuff like that that JP was using. And kind of just struck up a very casual, you know, like a, hey, how you doing kind of friendship, you know, just would see each other on gig days or whatever, but that was it. And then right around that time, um, I believe the way it happened was they were looking for new management and somehow or another Deep Purple's management got involved with them. And so I got a call one day from the management office saying, hey, we, uh, we've got this band Dream Theater that's getting ready to go on tour. Uh, do you want to go work for them? And I said, well, okay, sure. And um, yeah, I, I actually started off with, with Dream Theater 20 years ago as the bass and keyboard tech. And that was on the original scenes from a memory tour. Uh-huh. And then, you know, as, as with most road guys, a tour finishes, you go on to do something else and you go on to do something else and something else. So I was away for a little while and then I came back uh, on the train of thought tour. And that's when I actually became John's guitar tech. Okay. So I, I did that tour and then went away for a bit. And then I came back in 2009 I think it was the Black Clouds and Silver Linings tour, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, okay. And so, you wrote, just for the audience, you wrote a blog post on the Music Man site. I can link to I, that in show notes, but that gives I a little did. more detail in your backstory. Yes. And you do mention, actually, to back up a little further, how when Van Halen came out, you were fairly captivated by, by Van Halen. Oh, yeah. And, and that sort of brought you into the, the guitar tech fold a little more. But I, I noticed on the article... You were you were less centered on his playing than the actual taking apart the guitars and and, and the mechanics of it. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I I was obviously the playing is what kind of grabbed me, but it was the more articles I read in magazines uh, with Eddie 
um, and, and he would talk about how, you know, well, I built this guitar and, you know, I would, I, I couldn't get a guitar that I liked. So I would take two guitars apart and I would put different together to make something that worked for me. And, and I was always a mechanically inclined. My father was very mechanically inclined. He had his own business and I would spend a lot of time out in the shop and just, you know, take pieces of metal and drill holes through them on a drill press or take a piece of wood and cut it up with a saw and, you know, just kind of trial and error learning. And he would show me stuff and some of the guys in the shop would show me stuff. So when it came to, when I got into guitars, of course, I wanted to be a, a, a guitar player or a rock star. What kid doesn't, right? Yeah. Um, but I I kind of quickly figured out that I was much better at tinkering with them than I was playing with them. And that's that's what really inspired me. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I would get a guitar and I would take it apart because Eddie Van Halen did it. So why shouldn't I do it? Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and of course, a lot of that back then was... Yeah, you know, there wasn't a, there, the internet really didn't exist at all. So what few books were in the library or magazines, you kind of, you learned by doing and you would inevitably run into a buddy down the street who had a guitar who was maybe a couple years older, who had a little bit more experience with something. And so that's, that's how I started learning. Hey, I'm just curious, is John the type of guy who's inclined to take apart a guitar and learn about the, the guts of it? Um, yes and no. Um, he's, he's very intrigued by how it all works, um, and how all the parts come together to formulate the tool that he needs to, to make the music that he makes. Right. He's never really, uh, I don't think he's ever said to me, Hey, let's take a guitar apart and swap necks. I think maybe when he, uh, you know, years ago, he, he was a little more into that. Yeah, but it, I think it was just because it was a discovery process, and with with Music Man, you know, it's it instead of taking a guitar apart, you make a phone call, and you know, Drew goes to work in the office, and then yeah. next thing you know, a, this new thing comes about. You know, right, so, right. So a lot of it's 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 like the old napkin drawings. That's kind of where where it lies, and then you you get a hold of uh, the factory, and things start to happen. Yeah. So, you kind of alluded to this in your blog post and just now in your, your story of Deep Purple, how you'd sort of admire JP's setup as you were working for Deep Purple mm-hmm. because it's fairly elaborate. But if you look out across the, the sea of guitar players in the world, is, is, do you think John's one of the more demanding guitarists to work for? Not as far as being a difficult person. I mean, in the sense that his guitar playing is top level and that naturally entails more precision, attention to detail. Yes, the, that is a definite yes. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, any guitar player who's on that level has, you know, a level of demands that need to be met when you're the guy backing them up, guy or, or girl. You know, I, I always used to think when I first met John, I'm like, man, I, that's, that's got to be a, a difficult gig. And then right. now that I'm doing it, and it's probably because I've done it for so long, it's not a difficult gig because you know, we have a relationship and we both have a similar mindset when it comes to guitars and gear and thought process and things like that. So it's, it makes it easy for me. It feels easy. That's great. I could also see somebody coming in out of the blue, being fairly daunted by stepping into your position. And, and I've, I've done that, you know, when, when I was moving from gig to gig, you would finish a tour and you'd start another tour and 
you know, maybe you'd met the guitar player or bass player, whoever it was you were working for before, but never worked for them. And then all of a sudden there's a whole new person and a whole new set of emotions and thought process and everything that goes along with that, that you have to, you have to knuckle down and go, okay, how do I become a partnership with this person? Because really at the end of the day, when you're in a tech position, the ultimate goal is to make sure that when your guy or girl walks out on stage to play, that that's all they have to think about. Yeah. They don't have to think about, is my guitar going to be in tune? Is my amp going to work? Is my, am I going to trip on a cable? You know, stuff like that. Yep. All right. Let's reach into this, this bag of questions. Sure. Here we go. Okay. How many guitars does John have set up per show? <laughs> um, that's a revolving door. Um, let's see when we, on this current tour that we've been doing, uh, I think, so we have, so let me digress on that one just for a second. We sure. have two sets of equipment that leapfrog around the world. Um, we call them the A rig and the B rig. And they're essentially identical for as far as guitars and amps and effects and all that stuff. So they're, they're identical. So with the A rig, I think by the end of Europe, I ended up with 17 guitars. And the B rig, I think it's 13. So we, we added some new guitars in towards the end of the the last leg of the tour so that's okay. why there's a, a number of discrepancy but it's so let's let's just call it 17 okay so 17 guitars that are that are ready to go correct live show are they all yeah. how many are played um half okay. of those yeah so what the way it works is we have a main guitar and then a backup guitar for each tuning for each one gotcha yeah so if there's say seven string right there's there's two seven string guitars one is the one that he'll almost always play. And then there's a backup in case something happens. Uh, C standard tuning, D standard tuning, B flat baritone, uh, drop D, standard tuning. Standard tuning is usually where we'll end up swapping guitars more uh, just because you know he'll like a particular guitar for a certain set of songs. Maybe it's, you know, whatever yeah. wood combination that guitar is sounds better for those songs. And then, um, you know, like he'll switch to the tiger eye majesty for a certain set of songs because it's just, it has, it lends itself to those songs. Yeah. Okay. Actually, while we're on that topic, mm -hmm. there's a question, which strings does Johnny use for each tuning? <laughs> so, um, so we've we've kind of gone back to the standard green packaged slinky tens. Um, we'll okay. use the RPS slinkies for the standard tuning. Um, we'll use the seven string uh, ten to fifty six for the the seven string sets, and then then it gets a little funky. Uh, you have some custom gauges. There's some custom gauges and and really what it comes down to is it's it's been a formula that that drew and dudley and some of the other guys at the factory worked out to where when you drop two steps down to see standard it still feels like a set of tens uh-huh right and same with uh well with the d it's it's 11 to uh it's the purple pack okay power slinky is 11 to 48 yeah 
that's that's D standard. Okay. And then drop D is uh, 10 to 46, but instead of a 46, it's a 48 for the low string. Okay. And then C is, I think it's 12, 15, 20 plane. And then it ends up at a 54. I think it's 54, 46. Oh, yeah. It's, so uh, 20 plane, 34, 46, 54, I believe is All right. where it sits. Yeah. So, and then the B flat baritones are, that's a whole other animal anyway. So, all right, cool. Uh, does John still use any of his older JP models? Um, not, not on tour currently. Um, okay. Sometimes we'll get those out when we're in the studio and he'll, he'll just kind of say, you know, bring, bring a bunch of different stuff or he'll go, you know, I, I remember I had this, this guitar, it was this color and I'll go over to the, the warehouse and, you know, go through the library and pick it out. Yeah. Usually when we're in the studio, but you know, the majesty is kind of his, his main tool, you know, his main guitar uh, for now. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, and we have enough of them. I can set them up in all different tunings and it's. Yeah. How big is this warehouse at this point? Um, it's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty big. Uh, DTHQ is, uh, is rammed full at the moment, uh, with stuff, but you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how much stuff gets accumulated over decades of touring. Um, and when you actually get it all in one room, you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. How are the, are the guitars organized in some way or is it just, you just got to dig through? No, they, they are organized. Um, but it's kind of fallen off the last couple of years. So I need to get back up there and get back to it again. Yeah. You know, it's just as new guitars come out and we get ready for a touring cycle and more guitars come in and, you know, then they go out on the road for a while. So there's a bunch of empty cases. Yeah. Um, and you know, just because things sometimes get to be so last minute, you don't necessarily get to mark all the cases up with what they're supposed to be. So but you pretty much know where to find what you'd need. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, next one. What's the hardest part of your job? I don't know. It's um, a great question. Kind of depends on the day. You know, I think as far as setting up and doing, uh, you know, making sure the guitars are set up and the amps and the stage and all that stuff, you know, that's all easy. I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, I guess the hardest part is just being on the road, mm -hmm. uh, being away from home. That's, that's probably the hardest part, I guess. You know, the, the, actual, the, the actual gig itself is, I don't find that hard at all. It's, it's enjoyable for me. Yeah. Well, a less seasoned person would probably find it a little more stressful. If things go wrong, which they're bound to live, you know, it's not oh, like yeah. working in a studio. This is, this is live show with a big audience. Yes. Yeah. You, you, you always kind of have your fingers crossed. Yeah. You know, when I, I get the most worried is right at the top of the show when the house lights go out and the band walks out on stage and you're just, you're waiting for that first note to kick in yeah. and just hoping that that first note hits. And it, once that first note hits, it's like, okay, cool. Everything's working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I haven't accidentally, un, you know, not unmuted the guitar oh, or something. Sure. And, you know, and, and we have a, we have a routine.
routine at the top of the show. So it's, it's a very, like if, if the routine gets out of order, then something could misfire, but we, we do pretty good. Both him and I have, we have a routine and this is how we do it. And we know that everything's going to work. Yeah. Okay. So sigh of relief after that first note is hit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Someone asked, ready for this one. What's your favorite sandwich? My favorite sandwich? (laughs) Man, I I meant to warn you, this is a hard hitting interview. You just can't go wrong with a good old fashioned cheeseburger, you know? Okay. And uh, John? I would, I would venture to say he'd be, he'd be in line with a good old fashioned cheeseburger. We we tend to, to um, go out and grab a burger on a day off on occasion. Yeah. All right, we got various questions on string height setup. Oh boy! Uh, one of them being, how high or low do you set John's action? Okay, um, let me preface any of these answers by saying, um, it's all personal feel, yeah. right? So every guitar player is different. For John, he because of the style that he plays. And especially, especially live. Well, I'll use live as the example because the studio is a little different. Mm. Um, live, you know, when you're ripping through a three-hour show and playing all those notes, if, if the action isn't super, super low, your hands are going to get fatigued, right? And it becomes harder to play. And when you have to do three shows in a row, sometimes four in a row, you know, that's, that's a big that's a big problem if your hands become fatigued, right? So it's okay to have some fret buzz to get the action that low because with distorted guitars, you're not going to hear it anyway. Gotcha. So the number that I aim for, if somebody wanted to get out a a ruler and measure, um, I use these little string action gauges from, uh, from Stu Mac. um, Cause a buddy of mine had one years ago, showed it to me and I thought, Oh, that's really cool. So I go for 40 thousandths of an inch at the 12th fret. Okay. So when you're setting up the guitar, whatever the radius is of your fingerboard, you know, you set the bridge saddles to follow that same radius. And then I just sit there and make sure the neck is straight. So I adjust the truss rod uh, to make sure the neck's perfectly straight. And then I'll just sit there and, and I'll, if it's not 40 thousandths of an inch, I'll start lowering the bridge saddle to get it right down near there. And then it's just a repetitive um, setup after that. You have to adjust each bridge saddle. You have to keep adjusting the neck because you're going to change the tension on the neck. Mm-hmm. Keep retuning because you're changing the, the, the string tuning. So that, that's pretty much where I, I shoot for is 40 thousandths. And, and to be honest, a lot of times now I just do it by feel because I've been doing it for so long and I know what he yeah. wants. And every, every yeah, yeah. guitar is going to be different too. Yeah. So then slightly higher in the studio. Slightly higher in the studio because you're you're typically tracking with a little less distortion. Yeah. Um, because you're layering guitars on. And uh-huh. and it's also you're not playing a three hour show. You know, you can sit there and take your time with each part. So um so a little little higher action is is good for the studio. Yeah, it makes sense. I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, and you might've kind of gone over this territory already. Another one though, I can't seem to get my action right. It's either too low and buzzing or too high and buzzing. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that is a, that is a loaded question. Uh, it could be any number of things. If it's too high and buzzing, then 
something's off with and and this i don't know what kind of guitar he's talking about or anything so i would say that maybe the neck angle is slightly off um or there the truss rod is adjusted too far in one direction um if it's a floating bridge maybe it's not sitting parallel with the body um yeah yeah i don't it that's one of those things that you I'd, somebody'd have to look at it without seeing it in front of me i couldn't diagnose it okay all right so before we leave this topic any any uh, general tips for dialing in action yeah don't be afraid of the truss rod i don't i don't know where in the lexicon of guitars the truss rod became this voodoo thing <laughs> um it's it's a rod that helps counteract the string tension you know and it's it's very easy to adjust and it might seem scary the first time you do it because you'll you might turn it and you'll hear something creak a little bit or whatever but it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not a big deal at all okay um, any any risk in, in cranking it around too much well sure yeah um you you know you take it in small increments you know eighth of a turn quarter of a turn that's you don't need to take it in a in a full clockwise you know 360 right <laughs> you know that, then you're asking for problems yeah good disclaimer um, you know it's uh it, it's it's a piece of wood it moves it changes with weather you know i've i've adjusted john's truss rods while he's in the middle of playing a song uh, sometimes yeah that's that that was kind of on the extreme end of some acrobatics of things yeah yeah <laughs> i got these i got these handy new music man uh truss rod tools though so i'm looking forward to getting those back on the road all right we got some string changing questions pretty okay. basic sure but, but nonetheless you've probably changed as many guitar strings as anyone on the planet yeah so, so any tips i don't have any tips per se i can tell you how i do it yeah. Um, which is, is uh, I usually do them two at a time. Um, hardly ever take all the strings off unless I have to really work on, on the bridge itself or something like that. Okay. Any, any particular order you take two off at a time? I, I start with the low strings and I work to the high strings. Okay. So it'd be the, the E and A would be the first one. So I'll, I'll loosen them, take them off. Put the two new ones on, tighten them up, stretch them a little bit to get them to settle, and then move on to the next pair. Same process. Last pair, same process. And then once I get all six changed, then I'll put the guitar on in playing position, and I'll finish out my stretching and tuning. Um, and I'll, I'll play them for a little while. You know, so I, I'll probably noodle along for five or ten minutes and just bend them and play with the the bridge, you know, dive bomb it, pull it back. Uh-huh. Just kind of get everything moving so it all it'll all settle in. And then and then I'll put the guitar down, move on to the next one, and then you know after I get through however many I'm changing that day, I'll go back to the beginning and I'll pick them up and tune them and play them for a few minutes. And you know by that time the the atmospheric conditions in the venue are changing you know maybe the the venue's cooling down because they've turned the air conditioning on um or it's an outdoor show and the sun's going down so the temperature's getting cooler and that will all cause the guitars to shift around a little bit yeah how long before the show starts do you change the strings i typically start 
changing strings, if, if it's a normal day and everything's moving along like it should, usually between 2 and 2.30 is when I start changing. And I'll usually have anywhere from four to six a day that I have to change. Okay. You know, I, I, I keep them on a rotation. So, okay. you know, some guitars only get played for maybe one song. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to change those every day. I'll, I'll let those go two or three shows. Yeah. Um, especially like the, the lower tuning stuff. You know, there's maybe only a couple of those songs in the set list. Have you ever timed yourself changing a, a set of strings? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I think the fastest I did it, and it, this was like fully stretched, tuned. It wasn't going out of tune, probably somewhere between nine and 10 minutes. Yeah. In playing condition. Yeah. 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 I mean, to, you know, to change one single string uh, is, you know, you could probably do it under a minute if you really wanted to. But yeah, yeah. But you know, usually sometimes it, I've I've had this happen to me. Sometimes you're you're so you're trying to get it done so fast, you're stretching and you overstretch and you break the string, and then you got to go back and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One more before we leave this realm. How do you sure. block the majesty trim for string changing? I don't. All right. I don't. Um, the only so that being said, for normal string changing, I don't. If I have to take all six strings off, what I'll usually do is take, um, you know, like the thick uh, chamois uh, polished cloths that you guys have, the Ernie Ball has, the gray yeah, ones, yeah. Yeah. The, the real thick ones. The I'll get, microfiber. Yeah. I'll take one of those and I'll fold it in half. I'll dive the bridge down. I'll shove it under the bridge and let the bridge come back. And that usually holds it pretty close to playing position. So I can all take right. all the strings off. Yeah. Because really, what you really what you're trying to do is just not let the spring tension in the back pop the the bridge up off the posts, because then you can chip a post or something like that. All right, I'm not sure how expansive the title Guitar Tech is, but someone asks, what hair products does JP use? <laughs> <laughs> you should ask about his beard products. Yeah. I know he's got some beard products that he really likes. And for the life of me, I couldn't tell you right now what they are. <laughs> All right. You've got other things to worry about, I, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's a great question, though. And I, I do know some of it, but I, I just couldn't, I can't remember what it is. I'd have to call him or something. And... All right. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and dive into more questions. John Petrucci's Majesty Guitar is now available in four brand new striking finishes. Pink Sand, Red Phoenix, Smoke Pearl, and Ember Glow. Equipped with John Petrucci's signature DiMarzio Rainmaker and Dreamcatcher pickups and an onboard piezo bridge system, the Majesty offers up a highly versatile palette of tones. Head to music-man.com to learn more. That's music-man.com. All right. Which JP model is his current favorite? The Majesty. Any uh, particular color scheme? Well, uh, the Tiger Eye uh, has been pretty much the main, you know, if he takes a guitar for a day off in a hotel or something, that'll, that'll usually be the one. Okay. Um, but right towards the end of the uh, European tour, we got a purple Nebula. Yes. Which is a 2020 color. And that one instantly became a favorite. So. Okay. How do you EQ the piezo on the Majesty? 
most of the time I, I don't even touch it. It's however it comes out of the factory. Uh, but what we've been finding out recently is depending on what the guitar is made out of, meaning the, the type of wood that the body is, um, kind of plays into that a little bit more. And you know, most of the time, the, the piezo he uses with blended in with a clean sound. So it's not, it's just kind of riding in there. But on, yes. on this current tour, he's using the piezo a lot by itself to cover acoustic parts. So we've no, we've we've been dialing them in, but it's per guitar. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you have to lower the the bass down and turn the treble up. Sometimes you have to do the opposite. Sometimes you have to just take them both down or both up. It's it's really guitar dependent. And we'll just sit there and and he'll play it, flip the guitar over. I'll make the adjustment. He'll play it again. Okay, I think this questioner is looking for a, a scientific answer. Just how cool is John Petrucci? <laughs> Just how cool is John Petrucci? Yeah, so if you could quantify his, his cool. If I could quantify his cool. Well, if I knew what the, uh, the <laughs> periodic table of the elements was. Yeah, uh, no, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Very cool. Uh, very cool. And, uh, you know, as, as I said earlier in the, in the interview, you know, we, we, we have a relationship. And we've known each other a long time now. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a great relationship, not only working relationship, but personal relationship too. You know, it's, you can't not spend this much time together with somebody and, you know, not have some sort of personal relationship with it. So yeah, it's uh he's, he's a great guy. I agree. I love him. All right. My whammy bar can't stay in place. I've tried everything. Help. Okay. <laughs> 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 did, did they give a hint as to what kind of whammy bar it is? Um, I, I, I'm assuming it's a Petrucci or a Majesty. Okay. Um, well, there's the set screw on the back side of the trem block. Hopefully that has been tried. I hope so. Yeah. So just in case. So just in case. So if you if you uh, take the put the guitar on your lap, take the tremolo, push the bar down, uh, so the back of the bridge comes up, and if you look kind of directly behind where the bar goes into the top of the bridge, you'll see a little Allen screw. And what you want to do is you just want to tighten that up and it, that tightens the collar that holds the, the tension on the, on the bar and try that. If for some reason you've tightened it down and it doesn't work, then I would say call customer service. That sounds good. Yeah. Does he, how, how um, tight does, does John like his, his tremolo? He, he likes the bar to, uh, be movable, but wherever he puts it, that's where he wants it to stay. Okay. Yeah. So not like, um, not like really floppy loose where it's just dancing around by itself. Um, and not super tight either where you have to go looking for it. Okay. Uh, we have a question about show prep rituals or superstitions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have a whole routine. All right. Um, I, I guess I can divulge the routine because it's, it's, I think it's on video somewhere anyway. So, so when John gets up to the stage, he usually comes up about anywhere between five and 10 minutes before showtime. Um, and that's, that's all dependent on if he's warmed up backstage or not. Some days he wants to do a really light warm up, So he'll come up on stage a little earlier and he'll, I'll just give him the guitar and he'll just, I've got a stool and a footrest for him. And he'll just sit there and warm up for a few minutes and kind of get everything moving. Um, if he's warmed up a lot backstage, he'll come up 
you know, five minutes before showtime. I'll hand him the guitar that he's going to start the show with. And then the first thing we do is uh, when, you know, it's like, okay, let's go. First thing we do is check the in-ear monitors to make sure that they're, that he's got his seated in uh, and they're sealed up the way they're supposed to be. I'll make sure the cables for those are tucked in. Let's see. I got to, I got to remember the steps cause it's just a, a flow thing. Um, yeah. So we do the in-ear monitors and then what we do is uh, we do a shot of Listerine because, you know, good oral hygiene is, is always good, especially when you're in close proximity with people. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So we do a, we do a shot of Listerine. So that's not a superstition. That's like a, a courtesy to, to anybody. Well, I, I, it, I think it's both. Okay. Now, you know, well, I mean, it sounds good to say it's a good oral hygiene because you're in close proximity, but it's probably more superstition than anything. Okay. Um, so we'll do that. And then, uh, we do a, a, a fist bump and then, uh, we do the, uh, I say going live and I'll hit the uh, mute button for the guitar rig. And then that way, when he walks out, it's live and ready to go. And that's when I'm anticipating the first note. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. That's great. Okay. How hard is JP on his guitars? I would say he's not. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he plays them. He doesn't swing them around. He doesn't, you know, do acrobatics with them or any, he doesn't toss them off stage or anything like that. You know, he, he, he plays them. So the normal wear and tear is going to occur, but you know, he's, he's, he also likes his guitars kept in really good shape. So he doesn't like dings and bumps and scratches and stuff. So, you know, he's always, always trying to take care of that you know, you don't put a ding in the guitar when you're putting it back in the case or anything like that. So cool. All right. Let me see how many majesties does John own and how many does he actively use? We referenced the size of the warehouse. I don't know if we got numbers. There's a lot of guitars. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of prototypes. Yeah. I bet. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I can vividly remember the very first prototype that was sent and this was very early on in the design process. So it's, it's like, if you looked at the guitar now, you'd go, that doesn't look like a majesty. It looks kind of like a majesty, but it, that's not a majesty. Yeah. And of course it wasn't. It was, uh, you know, they were trying out something and it was like, okay, well, here's a physical thing to hold in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so there's a, there's a lot of prototypes and there's, there was some interesting stuff way back in the design process that's fun to go back and look at now. And occasionally when I'm up there, I'll, I'll snap a picture of, of one of the early prototypes and send it to Drew. And I'm like, hey, remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was really cool. Or this, you know, when, when, when uh, paint samples were being made, you know, and, and it was like, well, what do you think of this color scheme or what do you think of that? Yeah. With prototypes, you got to be racking up numbers pretty quick. Oh, yeah. But there's a good, a good chunk of majesties. Kind of like, I think he's got at least one of every color that's been made so far. So cool. All right, Maddie, guitar tech extraordinaire. Thank you for imparting your expertise and thanks for being on the podcast. Evan, my pleasure. It's, it's been great. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do it again. Thanks for tuning in to striking a chord and Ernie ball podcast. And big thanks to Maddie for agreeing to do this. And thanks to those of you who submitted questions. Maybe we'll do another if there's demand. Feel free to email us at striking at ernieball.com. 
thanks a lot, Maddie. Thanks, we'll, Evan. Uh, we'll meet in person next time. You got well, it. Who knows at this rate? Yeah, Man. I know, right? The new world. Yeah, crazy. It's the new this, world. This is, uh, I've done all the interviews in person until until now. So I did the first remote one yesterday. Wow. Today. Yeah.